edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Hey there. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad. Who are you? I'm Catherine Rubino. Oh, are you? You know who I am? I, uh, it, it escapes me. I'm a senior editor at Above the Law. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's How weird. You? I, who are you? Who are I you? work there. No way. I am also a senior editor at Above the Law. You know, I thought your name seemed familiar. And my name, which hasn't been mentioned yet, is Joe Patrice. And we're here uh, this week <laughs> to host another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer, which is our Above the Law kind of roundup of the week's top stories in all legal whatever. Uh, yeah. You know. Legal dot dot dot. What up with that? Yeah, I like that. I like it that. It seems part, accurate. Yeah. But before we get there, we always like to have um, a segment where Joe likes to play some sound effects and we talk about, you know, small talk. Sound effects? Oh, for small talk. Okay. I, I've already said it just because you were slow on the button. So Chris lives on. Our normal co host, Chris Williams, yes, is Chris, out this Chris week, Williams But is that not. is his voice turned yeah. into a sound effect. So yeah, he's, he's not with here. us in spirit. But yes, so we're we're able to go on with small talk. Mm-hmm. You know what started this weekend, which is pretty exciting? What? College football. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I know you're a fan. Um, I did not expect uh, Hawaii to lose by, what, 52 points? That was... I think it was 53. Okay. I mean, they were supposed to lose, but that was... That seems excessive. Uh, well, well to, to Vanderbilt, it certainly seems excessive. Yes, yes. I mean, I what was the line? Something like 12 and a half or something like that? I think it was nine and a half. Yeah. 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 The, all those seemed much more reasonable than 53. I mean, I, I also got to watch Nebraska fail as usual. Poor Scott um, Frost. It's, yeah. He it, seems like he's trying his darndest. Him and Clarence Thomas are just really big Nebraska fans. And that's true. Yeah, which is kind of um, a weird thing. People may not be aware of the, that kind of... Venn diagram between college football and the Supreme Court is that Clarence Thomas is a big Nebraska fan and will write often in decisions something about like, well, if Nebraska was in a game not, or not, not often, not often but has it, has he, written. He did. He did during a college football related uh, case, he did an oral argument, make a statement like, well, if you're one of the elite programs in the country, like an Alabama or a Nebraska, and it's like, it, it is not cute. 1983, friends. It was cute that it was no longer, <laughs> well, I think more mid 90s for them, but still, yeah. It's been a while. It's It's been some time. It's Indeed, some time. their current coach was playing for them the last time I really think of them being <laughs> yeah. elite. But yeah, so college football started. That's good. That's what you did. I returned home from the Iltacon conference mm. that we previewed a little bit of. We did the preview last that last time. A little time. bit small talk. Yeah, uh, it was great. Great? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there were things I can complain about, but the show Literally itself, seems like the forum for it, but okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the show itself was very good. I learned a lot about some of the cool... What makes for a good legal tech show? I mean, from my perspective, the, the baseline is the good content. So I really like being able to talk to vendors, hear what they've got. If they've got some cool new way of solving a legal problem... Uh, yeah, like that's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of lawyers, don't want to think of law as a Business. as a thing that can be <laughs> digitized. Uh, it, but it's not really robot lawyers. It's it's these new ways of making it more 
visual and easy to manipulate. This piece of evidence goes on in this binder and this goes here and you can physically move stuff around and mark passages that say, and this is the question I'm asking here. You know, that's mm -hmm. I was talking about one of the one of the products I looked at. It there's some good work being done that will make the job of being a lawyer a lot easier. And so I enjoy going to conferences to learn that. To nerd uh, out a little bit. Yeah. I mean I'm not really a tech person, but I, you know, was a lawyer. Got to play well, I mean, one on TV. Technically, I still am a lawyer, but I mean, I was a hardcore practice law practicing lawyer. Because I'm about to write lawyer. my check for my bar dues. You're damn straight I am. <laughs> yeah, right. But I was a practicing lawyer for a long time, and I see these products and think this would be, this would make my life a lot easier had this been available. Sure. So that's what I really enjoy. So if you stick around above the law, we're not going to talk deep about it here, but if you read above the law, which you should be, you can see a lot of my coverage over the next couple of weeks are going to be rounding up different products that I saw at this show. So if you're remotely interested in how to push your practice or your bosses in some cases to get better stuff for you to play around with, check them out. That sounds fun. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's the end of that. We can now move on to official topics. Oh, there you go. We, we have to put on our serious faces. Now. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like there is a lot of lawyering in the news right now. Really? A lot of things about affidavits and discovery and privilege and special masters. Oh, interesting. I, I've heard nothing about any of these terms. What, what are, could you possibly be talking about? I've got nothing. I just, just thought I'd spit some random legal. I'm like a legal term generator right here. And that's fair. So the the series of fallout from this search warrant of Donald Trump's... Mar-a-Lago. Oh, I, I, you, yes, that's true. Well, that's the location. I was going to say of his fun time mementos of top secret documents. <laughs> yeah, that he continues to refer to as my, quote unquote, my documents, even though... Not actually his. I think the Onion headline is something like Trump argues that these have, these top secret documents have been in his family for generations. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the, so this search of all that has now, it's been, in a lot of ways, it's fun for those of you who are listening, who are lawyers, and I hope, you know, a lot of you, I assume, are. This is like, a, this is like our moment. We're able to now field questions from all sorts of people about what these <laughs> words mean. You know, I, so I, next time my mom calls me with questions, I'm just going to give her your number and be like, hey, I got someone you should chat with. He thinks this is fun. I mean, it, it's like a nice revisit of criminal procedure. You know, a warrant is you get a warrant this way. Uh, this is how <laughs> things get sealed. You have a bit of a procedure question because we have a weird collateral attack on the warrant through a different judge who now says, even without allowing the government to respond, that she's inclined to send all the documents to a special master. That's the really wild bit to me, is that I'm not even sure how this judge has jurisdiction over the matter, since it's actively another case in front of a different judge. Oh, they, oh no, they have anomalous jurisdiction or That's something like thing. that, which is not a That's real not thing, a thing. But that is what Trump's lawyers said they had, uh, which... <laughs> I mean, and they were not laughed at at court. Yeah, it's not far off of Rudy Giuliani 
uh, Giuliani saying that the level of scrutiny was normal scrutiny or whatever. Um, so it was made up stuff. The judge decided to roll with it anyway. Uh, well, at least has indicated she will preliminarily roll with it. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that. I A lot of the people out there are zeroing in on this and saying that this is because this is a Trump deeply appointed. partisan Trump judge who's bending over backwards to help out this motion that really doesn't make much sense on its face. I offer an alternative theory, okay, which is that this is a deeply partisan judge who just wants to pass the buck. It's also <laughs> a fairly inexperienced judge. Mm -hmm. uh, is somebody who probably wouldn't put on a federal bench based on their their resume, but hey, that here was, we are. Welcome to the last few years, and I think the issue here is. I can say I intend to grant it. If the government comes back and gives a good argument not to, I can then potentially say, ah, oh, you know, my hands are tied. If they do go forward with it, they can hand it over to a special master, which is usually a lawyer, often a former federal judge, but not always, who will look through it and determine what of the stuff is privileged and what isn't. That way, the decision can be, once again, shrugged off of her shoulders. Uh, so I actually think it might be more cowardice than malignancy, but... I'm not sure either are great qualifications for someone on the federal bench, but no. I will also say that, you know, over the weekend, Lindsey Graham went on television saying that there will be riots in the street if Trump is indicted, which I think is not unrelated to what we're seeing here. Ma'am. You know, yeah. you may you may have gotten your position thanks to the MAGA crowd, but, you know, kind of be, you know, be wary of what you've wished for and who your backers are. If those are your backers, you know, you're potentially in a whole world of hurt if you make a, a ruling, which is terrifying. We should be, I think, is actually a worse assault on the American system of government and law than almost anything else that's happened, or at least as bad. Because if you can't depend on judges to make decisions absent of fear of their for their lives, I, mean, I don't know what you have. No, I think that's true. Another reason why I focus on this cowardice angle is that a special master, and I've, I'm not going to say I've been a special master. You've worked I've, on cases where the partner you were working for was a special was master. Was the special master, and therefore I functionally did a lot of the decision making, uh, you know, obviously under supervision, but I would, I would propose the results and talk them through. So I've kind of deputized special master. And yeah, the job is to look at everything and make but calls. But probably didn't have top secret documents that you had No, review, we huh? did not. But make calls on whether or not things uh, fall into privilege or not. Now, the reason why that's awkward here is there's not any attorney-client privilege documents here. These are... You know, as far as anybody can tell, well, I think that classified material. I think on Monday, um, the government filed its preliminary response to the judge's mm -hmm. preliminary order, saying that they've already completed their review. Their taint team has already completed the review. I think there's a, some small number that they've pulled for potential attorney-client privilege. I want to say like 84. I don't remember this specific right. number, but it's a, some very, very small number compared to the universe of documents. But the point is, they've already done the review. This motion is a day late and a dollar short. It is wild that anyone's even considering this when the whole decision can be like, it's, too, it's the ship has sailed, my friends. Well, this has already been completed. Well, so this is the this is the issue of apparently these documents are being held kind of willy nilly with a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. So the only attorney client privilege claim is that there might be 
attorney-client privilege documents that were mixed in with the classified Correct. documents. And that's fair. And the taint team has dealt with that. That taint team is where law enforcement officials who have otherwise nothing to do with the case look at everything, decide what's privileged and not, and then only give the clean stuff to the people who really do the investigation. And then they are firewalled off from the rest of the case. Anyway, for those who who are, you know, not Dean has been a lot of time in white collar. Yeah. So so yeah, so there is that sort of review, but it seems as though what the motion was seeking was a special master to go through everything, including all the classified stuff and decide what really was classified, which doesn't, which A, is not a thing that the special master has the ability, to, yeah, any special capable. master has like, the that's ability not, to doing. That's not your area. Yeah, but it, it it's just such a weird claim. And I think, like I could, reading between the lines, it seems as though their argument was that there is a privilege here. It's just not attorney-client privilege. It's what executive privilege would apply to, except the executive privilege belongs to Joe Biden. So it's kind of irrelevant. The whole thing is a I mean, is a it's wild not mess. a well-written document, right? Yeah, I mean, it, the, the opinion is only slightly better written than the motion asking for it. But but no, this is an interesting opportunity for us all to explain law to anybody who's curious because this is a much more formalistic challenge than some and messy procedural challenge than some other cases like talking but don't about use this case to, as your sort of basis. If you're taking right. criminal pro, don't use what's happening now as your sort of basis of understanding. Because listen, I don't know about that. You can use the DOJ's responses as a pretty good basis. Sure, sure. But there's a lot of anomal anomalous uh, jurisdiction here going no but there's a lot of weirdness going on that was not going to be on the test and listen i passed evidence almost entirely because i watched too much law and order 100% accurate that is true sometimes law based tv actually is useful for folks in law school i won't deny that but this this is not the this is not the, the lessons to take away yeah all right. Well, I, I'm I, I'm done talking about this today. I'm sure we are going to be talking about this for months <laughs> to, to go. So why even keep going with this? Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at calidusai.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. All right, so now we're back. 
So uh, speaking of judges who write opinions that don't make sense like that, the judge in question got their job in large part by being on a list compiled by a certain individual. FedSoc. <laughs> yeah, the Federalist Society, which is the conservative think tank group. They call themselves a student, a law student debating society. Most law students- They were liars. <laughs> most law student debating societies don't have billions in in dark money, but you know. Yeah, no, um, it was recently revealed that uh, Leonard Leo, he's one of the, fa not founders, but one of the directors of uh, FedSoc at he he's the person who runs it. Uh, yes. It's it's one of those organizations you see this a lot in kind of the nonprofit world where there's a chair and president and those people are rotating kind of honorary jobs and mm -hmm. the person who actually runs it is like executive vice president. That's like the full time person who makes all the decisions. That's the job that uh, we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah, I, I think I have referred to him repeatedly as the mastermind behind FedSoc, which seems mo as more accurate than any other title. Uh, anyway, it was recently revealed that Leo has a mar uh, organization called the Marble Freedom Trust, um, and that trust has received over one point six billion dollars from billionaire uh, Barry Seed. And it's the way that the donation was made um, actually saved about $400 million in taxes, which is apparently a, a legal scheme, but, you know, feels doesn't feel great. But what we've learned is that this is this dark money is almost exclusively under the control of Leo. And now is what is he about to spend all this money on? Rick Hassan and Dahlia Lithwick at Slate talk about the Fed sock and Leo is now do not is already has already taken over the federal judiciary. Any candidate that is going to be nominated to the federal court by a Republican has to basically be vetted by Fed sock before they can you know get anywhere. Uh, and now the they've turned their attention to state courts. Um, not the only person who's turned their attention to state courts. I think you wrote a thing about Selena Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus has a, a efforts to also have more attention paid to state court races, um, which is uh, frankly a good response, I think, to the, what we know about Leo's plans for the state judiciary. And I also think I'm hopeful, at least, that this increased scrutiny over what Leo's doing. I mean, part of the reason why I think FedSoc has a chokehold on the uh, judiciary in so many ways is because it was l largely able to operate in quietly for most of its, as it was building its power. Anyone outside of niche law groups barely knew what it was. You could even have gone to law school in the early 90s, 2000s with kind of knowing what it is, but not really. So, you know, as it was building its power, it largely avoided scrutiny. And now we have a situation where most, I won't go so far as to say most folks, but lots of people are learning what FedSoc is and what it's done and how it's, radically reshaped this country. It's a small minority of wealthy people that are dedicated to change, you know, changing all of what we're about to, you know, all of our country. So uh, we, you know, we also wrote a story not too long ago about a FedSoc event being barraged by protesters. So, you know, it's definitely kind of increasing. It's people are starting to know about it. But yeah, so they're also using the money to get more folks uh, in all sorts of right-wing positions. 
Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It's a lot of money. It's all dark money. And, you know, they're also uh, likely to use this money to, and then part of what it is, is, you know, preparing us for more v. Harper that the Supreme Court's going to hear next year, where they're taking up the independent state legislature theory, which, you know, just creates more of a loophole where minority parties with more bigger pocketbooks are able to, and control of the state judiciary is able to undo the democratically elected results. Not not great. My takeaway this is I, I don't necessarily fault organizations like the Federalist Society for existing per se. Like if you want to have a right-wing lobbying group that pushes for conservative judicial causes, fine. The problem I have, and I have this problem beyond politics, I think it's a problem with the NFL too, like these organizations that are clearly business organizations advancing causes, taking stances, trying to play the loophole game and Mm. claim that they're non, you know, they're nonprofit entities for the purposes of getting out of taxes. And there are liberal groups that do this too. And as I said, sure. there are business organizations that do it. Uh, like People like the NFL bring in billions and claim that they're nonprofit because only the franchisees are making a profit, not not the central. It, this stuff is a real it's problem. It's laughable, yeah. Yeah, and uh, nobody wants to tackle this because it is a problem that is more toward one side, but both sides have and both sides' donors have. And so nobody wants to pull this trigger. But... Mm-hmm. That's one of those causes that should be getting more universal anger around it, that these sorts of organizations can take in big bucks and then leverage it in ways that are, can be very damaging without without having to pay taxes on it. And as you said, the donors themselves are avoiding taxes, too, right. because they're claiming I gave it to what's functionally a charity, even though mm-hmm. it is not. Uh, it is just a lobbying group. But... Anyway. All right, we're back. Uh, Instead of shots, did you take some opioids? Because that's what our next topic. (laughs) No, uh, I didn't. Oh, Um, oh, good. Well, um, I have some questions about Yale Law School. Yale Law School grad J.D. Vance uh, running for Senate in Ohio is in the news again, again, because he's running for Senate. But now the focus is on his now shuttered charity, Our Ohio Renewal, which was supposed to be an organization that um, dealt with the opioid crisis in Ohio. The AP, when they reported on it, said that the charity had a dearth of tangible success. (laughs) Just never, never great way from a, you know, AP is not taking, it's not an opinion poll here. <laughs> is dearth a wordle word? What is that? <laughs> I think it is too many letters. It is too many letters. Yes, I know. Yeah. But the one sort of tangible thing that the organization was able to do was send a doctor to a year long residency in a Ohio's Appalachian re- region. However, the doctor that they picked is Dr. Sally Sadel, and she has connection. Her employer has connections to um, the uh, pharma, uh, not sorry, the Purdue Pharma, who makes Oxycontin. Uh, and additionally, she's on record as saying all sorts of questionable things like Oxycontin is a godsend and saying that prescribing opioids is not at all related to the increase in addiction uh, issues that people are seeing. So kind of an opioid denier, if you will. So the guy whose entire 
career is based around throwing Appalachia under the bus. Continued. Put together an organization to send a doctor there to get everybody hooked on, that resulted in getting more people hooked on. Okay, cool. That all all checks. Not great. It's it's uh, his campaign says that he didn't know about it the re- the connection between her employer and uh, Purdue Pharma at the time. However, her comments about yeah, yeah. that's that's that sums up my feelings on yeah. that statement. Uh, but regardless, her comments about the relationship between prescription opioids and drug addiction are she's been writing like this for years. Um, so either he doesn't know how to research, was aware of it and didn't care. Those well, are- wait, he went to Yale Law School. There is a chance he does not know how to research. <laughs> or anybody in the organization as well is also bad at it. Yeah. Um, she denies that she was directly paid to mimic Big Pharma's talking points. But, you know, whatever. She did it. But more to the point, maybe not more to the point, I guess it's really terrible in and of itself. But it's also fodder for political ads. Uh, Tim Ryan's come out with an ad saying, you know, J.D. Vance said he was going to help the opioid crisis, but he made it worse. It's not great. (laughs) Who who among us has not accidentally (laughs) increased addiction in the area that, you know, know, it's not, it's not great look for him, but it is a increasingly tight senatorial race. And so um, the GOP has pulled a bunch of money from other races uh, to back Vance. And so we'll see whether or not Tim Ryan's ad on this actually moves the needle. If it increases donations and, you know, potentially gets him elected. We'll see. Okay, cool. Anyway, so with that, I think we're done. You should listen to this show. You have listened to this show. Wait, that doesn't really make any sense. You listen should be again. Subscribing. You should subscribe to it and have it downloaded to your yeah, device. Yeah, that way you, you hear yeah. it when it comes out. Yeah, yeah this way you know. Yeah. Give reviews, stars, write something that helps better than just putting a star there. Uh, you should be listening to The Jabot, which Catherine also mm-hmm. hosts. I'm a panelist on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You should be listening to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. You should be reading Above the Law to hear more of these stories or you, read you won't hear them it depends on i assume our listeners are the sort of folks who are affluent enough that they have a hired reader to dramatically <laughs> perform everything that they consume Fair. yeah anyway so uh you should be following us on social media i'm at joseph trees she's at Catherine one the numeral one the above law proper is at atl blog there are other social media things, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think I that's agree. it. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.